Well, this morning, I want to talk to you about the power and the love of friends. You know, I can't think of a topic that means more to me outside of the love of Jesus and, and the love of a family than to talk to you about the power of friendship. And friends is kind of one of the most neglected area of study. I Googled the word sex this week. I don't recommend that, but I just Googled the word sex this week, and wow, was I overwhelmed at the number of hits. You know, I didn't just click on them. I just wanted to see how many there were. I Googled the word career. Again, wow, how many hits that I got on career. I mean, just so many digits across the top of my screen. I, I Googled the word family, same thing. But when I Googled the word friendship, the number just dramatically changed in Lord. Because I don't think that we really understand the concept of friendship like we should anymore. And so the Bible has a lot to say about friendship, more than I could actually deal with this morning. But if you'll take your Bibles or if you're following along with me on the app, you can go to uh, the app store at the Apple store and you can download our app. It's at Woodland Church Mobile. Or you can go to the um, Google store. I had to remember that. Android store, whatever you call that one. And you can also download the same. I believe it's Woodland Church Mobile there as well. And you can download our app and follow right along, fill in the fill-ins as we go through the message this morning. But from the book of John, chapter 15 and verse 13, look what Jesus said. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Let's say that together. If you're at home with your family, let's just all say it together. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. This weekend, I read a beautiful book, a powerful book by Senator Tim Scott and former U.S. Representative Trey Gowdy on the power of their friendship, a black man and a white man, a senator and a representative, and how their friendship nurtured and encouraged one another, how their friendship was built on their faith in Jesus Christ. As I read through their book, <clears throat> through some of the tumultuous times that our nation has been through in the last few years, it was amazing to read how they wrote about one another, what newspaper stories like the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post have written about their friendship and how it seems, as the New York Times article put it, how it seems they're constantly trying to promote the other. Well, that's what a friend does. After the tragic shooting at Mother Emanuel Church, it was amazing to read the power of their friendship during what could have been a very racially divisive time, what could have been a very violent time about the healing that took place. And something in particular that happened in the retelling of their story that I read with interest was the friendship that Tim Scott and that Trey Gowdy had with Tulsi Gabbard. Tulsi Gabbard is a very progressive Democrat, which means they seldom voted the same way on the same things. Tulsi Gabbard is Hindu. She is not a Christian. And yet, when it came time for the funeral, Tulsi Gabbard was there. She showed and expressed such love and friendship. They talked about the friendship that they had with Tulsi, even though they didn't share their same faith, and how that there was this real bond of friendship. 
And one of the things that I want to say to you as I go through this message this morning, it's important for us to build friendships. One of my good friends in this community, and I have his permission, we were talking this week, and, and Asif told me, he says, never be ashamed to tell people I'm your friend. Never feel that it's going to cost me anything for you to share with somebody that I'm your friend. I, I, let me tell you how this all began. We, I serve on the Downriver Development Authority here in Brownstown, and uh, one day after our meeting where I had met Asif at, Asif walked me out to my car and we were talking. It was close to Christmas. And as I was getting into my Mustang, Asif said to me, Pastor Clanton, I wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas. And it took me aback. I was off guard because of all the Muslim people that I have met through the years. And there's a very large Muslim population here in the metro area. He was the first Muslim who ever wished me a Merry Christmas. And I know that he understands what I believe about Christ, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he was born of the Virgin Mary. He lived a sinless life, that his miracles proved that who he was. He died for our sins at Calvary. He rose again, and one day he's coming back. Asif even knows that I believe that, to, that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation through Christ. And yet, Asif and I still have a friendship. We still have a, a genuine concern for one another's welfare and for one another's family. I have another friend who wrote me an email years ago. And in that email, he says, you know, somebody recently told me about your faith. I am not a Christian. I belong to another religion. But I feel like I could learn from you. Would it be possible for us to have lunch well, like, wow, I was just humbled by that request and grateful for that request. And so from time to time, he and I get together, we share lunch, we, we talk about our faith, we talk about the differences in our faith. I pray for him, he prays for me. And the thing that I want to bring out here is that I'm primarily going to be talking about the power of friendship between brothers and sisters in Christ, but never rule out the fact that you and I can be friends with people who don't share our faith. And by the way, family, I want you to know something. Jesus is the friend of everyone. He will reach out to whoever you are. He will draw you from whoever you are. He took his worst enemy, probably in the church, the apostle Paul, or Saul, as he was then known, and Jesus came to to Saul, and Saul, as a result, gave his life to Christ. And so I encourage you this morning, don't feel like you have to limit your friendships just to other believers in Christ, but let's reach out and let's love one another in the Lord. I will never forget pastor that I worked with years ago, Jimmy White, who is a dear friend and I love so much, I owe so much to him. I remember the friendship of people that he had built in our community that we lived in, people that didn't share his faith, but when there was a problem, they would always call upon Pastor White. And there were times when he would ask me to go to the hospital with him, or there were times when he'd ask me to go to a business with him because he wanted to introduce me to his friends that were not Christians yet, and I saw some of those men come to Jesus Christ and give their heart to him. And I'm so thankful for a mentor that taught me how to love people regardless of whether they shared my faith or not. Because of the power of this verse, that greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. 
Friends, don't ever forget, Jesus laid down his life for you like he did the Apostle Paul while you were still the enemy of God. And that's what I remind myself about my lost friends. Jesus laid down his life for them just the same way he laid down his life for me. And that was part of the takeaway that I took out of the story that Senator Scott and Representative Gowdy told in their wonderful book, Unified. And I would really recommend that you read that book. Well, last week I referred to C.S. Lewis. And as often as I refer to C.S. Lewis, you might think that I think that he's one of the 12 apostles. Well, I know he's not. But I have just learned so much from C.S. Lewis. And in his book, The Four Loves, that I recommended to you last week, he talks about, <clears throat> pardon me, he talks about affection, the affectionate kind of love, storage, that's the Greek word, that we build our families off of. It's the same kind of love that I have for my children, my children have for me and for Becky. We talked about, he talks about in his book, erotic love or sexual love. And it talks about the power of that. He talks about civil relationships, which is a philos love. And there is how the love that we show to our neighbors. This week, Pastor Corey and I were talking about that in our staff meeting. And Pastor Corey brought up because Philadelphia is known as the city of brotherly love. And we both laughed because Philadelphia football fans are not known for being very brotherly towards other people. Pastor Corey told me they even boo Santa Claus in Philadelphia. So, you know, the kind of brotherly love that, that Lewis is writing about is the kind of love that helps us build strong communities. But the most neglected love, the love that the least is written about, is the one that I googled this week. It's the friendship love. It's the most neglected. Lewis says the reason is that the first three our affectionate love, our eros love, and our neighborly love, those are biologically driven and those are civilly driven. We can't build a civilization without those kinds of love. We can't reproduce without those kinds of love. Those are civilly and biologically driven. But friendship love, the kind of love that Jesus just talked about, well, that's the least necessary love to survive with. Necessity drives them. Let me read from Lewis. Very few modern people think friendship is a love of comparable value or even love at all. Listen to that again. Very few modern people think that friendship is a love of comparable value or even a love at all. He says that in his lifetime, and C.S. Lewis died, I believe, in 1961, C.S. Lewis said in his lifetime, he could not think of one novel or even a poem that had been written to celebrate friendship since the poem Memoriam. I'm having trouble with that. He then goes on to write, listen, friendship is the least natural of loves, the least instinctive, the least organic, the least biological, the least gregarious, and it's the most necessary. It has the least commerce with our nerves because there's nothing throaty about it. Listen, this is good. And nothing that quickens your pulse or turns you red and pale. And we all know what erotic love can do to our feelings and to our nerves. We all know what 
our children, the affection loved, our family love. We all know how our hearts can respond to our children. I watch sometimes after church when you're getting your children from Timber Ridge. I see your faces light up. Even they've only been gone for you for just a little while. Your faces light up as you reach out to grab your children. Uh, yesterday, two of my sons called me and we were talking on the phone and my face literally, I know, lights up every time. Matter of fact, I feel like I'm blushing right now just talking to you about this because there's something about those three loves. They're biologically and they're civilly, they're civilly they drive us. Now, I want to share with you something that, that you think, boy, Pastor, you've never mentioned Frankenstein before from the platform or <clears throat> when you're preaching. But you know, I love old movies. And I'm probably the only one in my family that loves old movies. If I turn on a black and white movie, it all goes thumbs down on family night when our family's together. But there's an old movie from 1935 called The Bride of Frankenstein. Have you ever watched that? If you hadn't, then maybe you could just uh, see if it's available on iTunes or something like that. Or you can just Google this scene from uh, YouTube. I Googled it just to be sure that it's there. But in this scene, Frankenstein is fleeing from his, it's only about five minutes long. Frankenstein is, is fleeing from his pursuers, and he stumbles upon a cabin in the woods. Now, it's an old movie, so you've got to remember, the set's going to look old and everything. But he stumbles upon this cabin in the woods, and he hears music coming out of the cabin. It's an isolated cabin way out in the middle of the forest. And, and so Frankenstein walks up, and he looks in the window, and there's a man playing the violin, and he's playing the song Ava Maria. And you can see that suddenly Frankenstein is touched by that. Well, the man recognizes that somebody is outside, and so he invites Frankenstein in, and he can see that there, the man is blind, and so he can't see him, but Frankenstein can see him. And because the man is blind and can't see Frankenstein, and Frankenstein can't speak, then the old man says, God has sent me a friend. And as he feels Frankenstein's hands, he feels the scars and the wounds, and he leads Frankenstein over to a bed, and he sits him down, he brings him a cup of soup, and he brings him some bread, and, and Frankenstein eats and drinks together, and the man kneels there in front of Frankenstein, and he looks up to a crucifix on the wall, and he begins to pray, God, thank you for sending me a friend. God, you know how lonely I've been. Thank you for sending me someone who has a need just like I have a need. Well, it's a touching scene. I'm going to tell you, it brings tears to this preacher's eyes who has always found it very difficult to cry. But in that scene, you watch as, as the blind man teaches him certain words and helps Frankenstein to grow. And then suddenly these hunters who were pursuing him, they show up days later. They burn the cabin down and the old man dies. And Frankenstein is wandering in the woods saying one word over and over, friend friend, friend. You see, beloved, friendship is the most humanizing thing that I can think of. Friendship is the most humanizing thing I can think of. Sex doesn't humanize us. I have an art, several articles saved from the Times and the Journal and, and from different newspapers like that, from 
they talk about the loneliness of sex and people who are just, you know, they have these convenient relationships to hook up, no money involved, not even transaction. Transaction is just the satisfying of a biological need, but they're not close. They're not friends. Sex doesn't build a friendship. You see, when you are a friend with somebody, you bring humanity into their life. You bring to them something that every one of us needs. Now think about that movie scene that I just told you about where the poor old blind man befriends Frankenstein and you see him gradually becoming more and more human, which was the whole point of Mary Shelley's wonderful story, Frankenstein. And listen, think about that with this quote that's in your app that I want to read to you from Scott Peck. Often the most loving thing we can do when a friend is in pain is to share the pain. To be there even when we have nothing to offer except our presence and even when being there is painful to ourselves. Oftentimes people say to me, Pastor, I don't know what to say when someone dies or when someone has cancer or when someone says, you don't need to say anything. You just need to be a friend and to be present. I call it the ministry of presence. Notice what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Notice that. Circle that word. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. I asked my niece, what is the essence of good nursing? And she sent me a long paragraph that I can't quote from from everything, but what I took out of that was compassion, was care, was presence, was attentiveness. And she described the essence of good nursing, and she is a very, very highly skilled and highly trained neurological nurse. You see, the essence of being a friend is that whatever you would want others to do for you, you would do to them. So let's go through this kind of quickly this morning. A friend is someone who has time for you. A friend is someone who has time for you. It takes an investment of time. It takes an investment of energy. You see, friendship is intentional. You choose to build a friendship. And I am so thankful for the good friends that I have, for the prayer partners that I have that are intentional about building friendship with me. Friendship is not instant. I can promise you the people that I've asked to be my prayer partners, they're not people that I just met one week and then maybe a month or two later I asked them to be my prayer partner. These are people that I've, I've intentionally and they've intentionally spent time with me and I could tell that they wanted to be my friend and I wanted to be their friend and we invested the time to do that. Friendship is not cheap. It's very, very deliberate and I think that's why friendship is so neglected from time to time. Because we're all busy, we all have schedules, and and our schedules tend to squeeze out room for the time to build friendships. And the things that you make time for are the things that are important to you. The things that you make time for are the things that are important to you. That's the reason why tonight, between 6 and 7 o'clock, I will sit down, I'll go over my whole week again, everything that I have to get done, uh, I have two classes that I'm taking right now. I have to schedule time in for those. I have my regular duties. We're getting ready for Father's Day, and there's just so much. Uh, you know, I have meetings this week, so I, I'll sit down, and I'll be sure that it's there. But I build time for my friendships, and I build time for my prayer partners as well. Because here's the deal. 
there are always things clamoring for our attention. There are all things crying out for our attention. You know, there are some things that just impose themselves upon you. When there's an emergency, it imposes itself upon you. I, I love my family, and I choose every day to call my wife. And if I don't hear from my children, I call my children. But you know, one of the reasons that I call a lot is because if I don't call, for instance, if I don't call my mother, I'm going to hear all about it. And mom, if you're watching, I know if I don't call you, I'm going to hear all about it. But I call you because I love you. And so I don't want, friendship is not like that. Friends never impose upon you. That's why you have to make time for friendship. Listen to Proverbs 18 and verse 24. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. Or you could make that a woman who has friends must himself or herself be friendly. Stop waiting for people to be your friend. You show up and you extend friendship to them and you love them. When people tell me they don't have any friends, I ask them, who are you showing up for? Who are you, who are you there in the light? Who are you trying to be friends with? Number two, a friend has your best interest at heart. A friend has your best interest at heart. So what I'd like to say there is never just be interested in your own life, but be interested in the lives of other people. Years and years ago, oh, I, I was still a youth pastor way back when, in the 70s. Somebody recommended me to me a book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And you know what the one big takeaway I took out of that book was? Nobody else is really interested in me. They're interested in themselves. And so if I show an interest in them, then suddenly they're interested in what I've got to say or what I've got to offer. I mean, if, if I go to a party, I can promise you nobody's wondering what I'm going to be wearing. Nobody's wondering, you know, what I'm feeling. or what. But they're all concerned about their feelings or their wearing or what other people think about them. So as a, somebody that wants to have friends and somebody that wants to be friendly, show an interest in other people's lives. Look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4 with me this morning. Very powerful verse. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. Now, beloved, if you will make that one of your life verses, you will never lack for friends. If you will abandon your own selfishness, if you will possess a greater concern for what matters to other people instead of your own interests, you will never lack for friends. And one of the things that I can tell you is since I became a Christian, I know what it was like back in those days when I was scarred and I had odors about me when I was so sick and growing up. I know what it's like to be mocked. I know what it's like to be shunned. Maybe that's why that scene from Frankenstein means so much to me when that old man befriended him. I remember people like Steve Strange I remember people like Brad Fussell who reached out and befriended me and loved me just like I was. They weren't cousins, they weren't family members, but they befriended me just like I was. You see, when you abandon your own self-interest, you will never lack for friends. And you can't be a friend unless you've shown up. Now, let me tell you something. Just because you abandon your self-interest and you want to be friends with somebody, doesn't mean everybody's going to want to be your friend. You know, I remember inviting a man to be my friend in, in Macon, Georgia. And I never will forget, he said, what for? And I was like, well, I guess if you have to ask that, it's not necessary. 
Well, years and years later, matter of fact, I was pastoring here in Detroit when I happened to bump into him again, and he came to me, he came to me, and he says, I want to apologize for what I said to you when you were young. He said, I just simply didn't have time, and now I wish that we had built a friendship. And since that time, we email probably several times a year, back and forth. He's had, you know, tragically, he's now a widow, and but we've built a friendship of just concern and talking to one another. There was another man, pastor of a very large church that I, I wanted to be friends with. So I reached out to him thinking he would not have time for me. And he in turn, he responded to my offer of friendship. We met together once a week for lunch. We met together for prayer. He became one of the closest friends that I've ever had. And his widow wrote Becky and I this week and just reminded us about the great friendship that we share together in Christ. I can remember right here in, <clears throat> in our congregation one time, I asked someone to be my friend. And the person just was not interested in a friendship. And you know, I wasn't hurt, I wasn't wounded by that, and I can say that honestly, but sometimes people just don't have time for that friendship. And then, I, you know, let me just give you one other example. Then there's another man, now he pastors a, what we call a mega church, it is a super large church, and so I just took the risk that maybe we could build a friendship because I could learn something from him. So I called him up, got through the gatekeepers, all the gatekeepers. That was a miracle in itself. And I got to him and I said, told him who I was and what I wanted to do. Could we have a chance maybe at building a friendship? I thought I could learn so much from him about being a better pastor for you. And it was amazing that he responded to me with yes. And because he's such a public profile figure and he's a man of great integrity, when we get together, we meet in private. Lunch is catered in for us. And it's just an amazing thing. What I'm trying to say to you, if you abandon your self-interest and you show an interest in others, people will be your friends. And I have to tell you something else. This individual, from time to time, has, they've sent flowers to our family to celebrate special occasions. They've sent flowers when our family has grieved. You see, friends abandon their self-interest. The third thing is a friend is someone you can trust. And I know, oh, I know how difficult it is to trust people. I know that personally from up front. You talk about having been hurt by people that can betray you. You talk about the pain. I never talk about it because, number one, there's no profit in dwelling on it. I just choose, I chose to learn from those things. So let me talk to you for a little bit about friendship and trust. Because there are people that I talk to that are acquaintances. We're not friends, but we're acquaintances. You can work eight hours a day on the line at Ford or GM or Chrysler, and still you know those people, you work with them, but they're not your friends. As a matter of fact, I was talking to somebody just recently, and they work with a friend of mine, and, and I asked them about that, and they said, well, we work together, but we're not friends. And I said, really? And so I just wanted to be sure because my friend is a passionate follower of Christ. And he says, oh, no, I know that they're Christian and they're genuine. But he said to me, he said, a friend is somebody you're going to go out and have a drink with. A friend is somebody you're going to go out and have dinner with. A friend is somebody you're going to invite to your home and they're going to invite you into their house. And I realized then, <coughs> pardon me, this person really understood friendship is not acquaintances. You know, and I want to tell you something that you may not like, but all those people on your Facebook page, 
they're not your friends. Some of those are, but a lot of people out there, there's been study after study shown, they're just people that somehow or another they've ask you to be a friend on Facebook or you've asked them to be a friend on Facebook and that's good, that's okay but a friend is somebody you can trust look at Proverbs 20 and verse 6 with me most people will tell you what loyal friends are they are let me read that again because it's so important most people will tell you what loyal friends they are but are they telling the truth is that a powerful verse of scripture they will tell you what a loyal friend they are, but are they telling you the truth? You see, trust is something you have to earn. Trust is something that once earned, you have to maintain it. Trust is something that you build in a marriage, you build with your children, you build with your friends. Trust is something as a pastor that I have to earn every day of my life. Trust is something as a member of our community I have to earn every day of my life. So how do I know who I can trust? Well, I can trust someone, and I'm going to just give you just a few characteristics here, so you want to write these down or fill them in on the outline. I can trust someone who is reliable. And by that I mean this person's predictable. This person is not fickle. This person is not like Michigan weather. You just never know what it's going to do. I, you know, I get up some mornings here, and I check the weather, and it tells me what it's going to be, and then it doesn't turn out to be anything like that. Weather can change quickly here on the shores of Lake Erie and the Detroit River. However, what I want you to know is with a friend who's reliable, you can count on them. They keep their word. Now, reliable is different than punctual. When I was writing this this week, I thought about some of the character qualities that I want to see in people. Some people that I know have great character qualities, but they're not necessarily the person that I would rely upon in a crisis or in a trial for, for my life. My prayer partners and my close friends, for instance, I know that I can count upon them. I know that they're reliable. Some of them are not very punctual. I have a struggle sometimes with being punctual because of the demands upon my life. You know, some of them, they're very reliable. But, you know, you have to, be, you have to do the calling sometime. They're there, but their lives are so busy that you have to be the one to make the call. Friends keep their word. Listen to Proverbs 17 and verse 17. A friend loves you all the time. A friend loves you all, thank you so much, Wayne. A friend loves you all the time. I want you to underline those words, all the time. Occasionally here at Woodland, I'll say something like, God is good. And somebody is in bound to say in the congregation, all the time. Well, a friend loves you all the time. A friend loves you when you're sick. A friend loves you when you're irritated. A friend loves you when you're lonely. A friend loves me when I'm being a jerk. A friend loves me all the time. I can count upon my friends. Number two, a friend is loyal. A friend is loyal. Loyalty is a commitment that you make. Loyalty is a commitment that I've made to, to Christ. It's a commitment that I've made to Becky. It's a commitment that I've made to our church. It's a commitment that I make to our friends. It's a commitment that I've made to this community. You see, loyalty, that's another quality that's rare to come by. 
Some people are very punctual. Some people are very creative. Some people, well, you know, they, they can solve problems, but their loyalties lie only with themselves. But a friend is loyal to you. Listen to this from the Scientific American. Elizabeth Landau was a 32-year-old single person. She wrote this article. She said that a lot of people her age, she's a millennial, she says, we are commitment phobes. Get that, commitment phobes. And when they interviewed the millennials in this article she wrote, the Pew uh, Company, who does a lot of these, these, these polls and things, they wrote this, trying to live with somebody else and put their needs first is more difficult when you've been raised to put yourself first, according to San Diego University professor, they quote Gene Twinge. Trying to live with somebody else, put their needs first, is more difficult when you've been raised to put yourself first. Moms, dads, grandpas, grandmas, pastors, youth pastors that are listening to this, friends, I encourage you, Raise children, disciple people to honor one another above ourselves, as the Scripture says. Raise children, disciple people to abandon their own self-interest and look out for the needs of others because this is the loyalty that Christ showed to you and I. Philippians 2 is so clear that Jesus Christ gave up everything in order to become and take on the form of humanity to dwell with us and to suffer and die for our sins. Even God himself says, I came not to be served, but to serve. And unlike the gods and idols and temples that I have visited around the world where I've watched people bring their, their, their offerings to try to placate their gods, to placate their demon gods, friends, I want you to know that our God, Jesus Christ, came not to serve, be served, but to serve. And so the book of Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 24 says, some friends may ruin you. That's not a friend at all. Some friends may ruin you. But a real friend will be more loyal than a brother. A real friend will be more loyal than a brother. Now, what you need to understand there is he's not saying that a friend is necessarily more loyal than your brother. He is raising. You have to understand how Proverbs was written. And Becky and I took a class years ago from Dr. Bruce Waltke, the translator of the wisdom literature for the NIV translation. And after that week's class, he gave me permission. I asked, could I rewrite those notes to teach the students? And he gave me permission to take all of his notes and rewrite a curriculum for that. And one of the things that we learned from Dr. Walkie is he's raising up the level of, of friendship love to a level of family love. In other words, my friends are like my family. David Brooks in his book, The Social Animal, points out that the difference between people that become excellent musicians or excellent athletes or excellent preachers are the people who discipline themselves and they are loyal to what they do. They excel because of their commitment. In 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 7, if you love someone, you will be loyal to him no matter what the cost. You will always believe in him, always expect the best of him, and always stand your ground in defending him. Underline that phrase, stand your ground in defending him. I defend my friends when they're right and when they fail. That doesn't mean I justify what they do. 
If you're my friend and you fail, I'm going, to st- I'm going to be a better friend to you than I am right now. If you're my friend and you fail, I'm going to walk through you with that failure, no matter how miserable that failure is. And some of you listening, you know that's true. I'm going to walk through that with you. You say, where did you learn that from? I learned that from the man who wrote the first computer program that Fireman's Insurance Fund used and made him an instant overnight success. And I remember one morning when we were having breakfast and there was a spectacular failure by a well-known preacher in America. Spectacular failure. And we were having breakfast together and he reached his hands across the table and there without any shame, this, this godly man, a retired marine captain, he took both hands in my, uh, mine and his and he looked at me and he says, Pastor, if you ever fail, Don't do what that preacher did. Don't cover up your failure. Don't cover up your sin. I will be a better friend to you then than I am now, and nobody will harm you as long as I'm your friend. And I've never, ever forgotten that. That's what Jesus does. Jesus stands his ground in defending you, my friend. When we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. His name is Jesus Christ. And he says, Father, I know Dennis sinned. I know Dennis failed. But because I shed my blood for him at Calvary, forgive his sins, Christ always defends his own. Come on, victory. You see, that's what God calls us to be as friends. And so as growing Christians, as people who want to be followers, passionate followers of Christ, let's stand our ground. Let's teach our children. Let's teach one another in our small groups. Let's be committed to being loyal friends. I'm going to follow Jesus Christ my whole life. And by doing that, whatever the flaws, whatever the weaknesses, whatever the failures, whatever the sins in my life or in your life, I'm still going to be your friend. I say, Pastor, how can you say that? Because I've had my feel of people who think they're perfect and they just stink up the whole place. Can I be honest? You know, nobody's perfect. And Woodland Church is not a perfect church. I'm not a perfect pastor and neither are you. The thing we have to do is commit to being loyal. And then finally today, a friend is confidential. I'm talking about how to know that you can trust somebody. A friend is confidential. A friend is safe. A friend knows how to keep a secret. You know, I've told you many times, if you're going to build a friendship and if you want to know if you can share with somebody or share with a small group, tell them something that's harmless. And if you don't hear it within a couple of weeks, feel like you can share something else, just a little more uh, intimate. And if they don't share that in a couple of weeks, share something else. And after a while, you'll find out if a friend is truly confidential and safe. Look at Proverbs 11 and verse 13. You can't trust gossipers with a secret. They'll just go blab it all. Put your confidence instead in a, say it out loud with me, trusted friend. Say it again. Put your confidence instead in a trusted friend. Circle that. For he or she will be faithful to keep it in confidence. Now let me ask you a question. Do people confide in you? Do people trust you with the secrets of their life? If they don't, then maybe you have a reputation of gossiping. And you see, the Bible says, not me, the Bible says that God hates the sin of gossip. A friend is someone that is loyal to you. Listen, anybody who gossips to you will gossip about you. 
Anybody who is critical of others to you, they will be critical of you to others. That's the reason I've always said I don't have time for whiny, hiney people in my life. I want to build relationships with people that are trusted and loyal. Well, let's wrap this up this morning. A friend celebrates my successes and grieves my losses. A friend celebrates my successes and grieves my losses. I will never forget one Sunday morning at the back of the church, somebody says, oh, pastor, I just love it when you tell us about how you failed. I am more edified by your failures than I am your successes. And I was like, okay, well, that's not quite the way the Bible says it, but I understand. He says, oh, no, it just helps me to know there's hope for me as well. You see, I not only need to learn how to celebrate the good things that happen in my life, I need to learn how to celebrate the good things that happen in your life. Because quite frankly, you know this and I know this, good things don't happen in our life every day. Some of you want to have a baby and you've not been able to have a baby yet. Becky and I understand the pain of that. But we had to learn how to celebrate the birth of other friends' children. When they would come and tell Becky and I, when we were praying for a child so desperately, they would come and tell us, we're pregnant, celebrate with us. And we would rejoice with them sincerely, but instead we still hurt. But what we learn from that that I've applied to every other area of my life, if I celebrate the good things that are happening in other people's lives, I have something to celebrate every day. But if I look at what's not happening in my life or when something good is not happening in my life, I have nothing to celebrate. I will be miserable. So the key, I think, to celebrate other people's successes is to come alongside of them and to celebrate with them, but also be willing to grieve when something happens to them. You know, sometimes I've had people here that they've gotten job promotions and people who haven't gotten job promotions. But if you celebrate when your friend gets a job promotion, you've got something to celebrate. If you learn to celebrate instead of being jealous about it, you will always have a joyous life. Listen to me. Don't miss this. If you will learn to celebrate other people's wins, successes, their joys, you will always have a joyful life. I love a party, a party thrown for other people where I can celebrate their promotion. One of my good friends here at the church <clears throat> invited me to their retirement party. And at their retirement party at their company, it was such a privilege to be able to sit with a couple of his bosses and, and to meet friends who came up telling me, you know, about his faith, about how much he was going to be missed, about his work. I have pictures and I have videos of that as I watch them celebrate his successes. And to this day, I find a great deal of joy. I've been invited to other parties to celebrate either promotions or advancements. You see, Something good may not happen to you every day, but something good is happening to somebody else somewhere every day. And during this time, I have learned a little bit more about how to use Facebook. Now, I'm going to hear about this when I get home. I didn't know what the bell was on Facebook. And so everybody was telling me about the bell. You know, look at, and I, finally I just said, what is a bell on Facebook? And, and right now I can't remember again. So anyway, so anyway, th this bell was there, and Becky says, Dennis, You've got to learn how to use Facebook. And so what I've done is just take about five minutes every day and I scroll through real quickly. And I can't look at everything uh, because I, I'm fortunate to have so many friends. But I've seen successes and I've been able to go high fives, congratulations. Now, don't think I'm fixed to be a Facebook person, okay? I'm using it for what I, I intended to be used for. 
But the point is, you can find something to celebrate every single day. Romans 12, 15, celebrate with those who celebrate and weep with those who grieve. And then finally, 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 friends, help me become a better man. They help you become a better woman. Good friends, help your children to become better. You see, now listen, this is important. A good friend brings the best out of me. A good friend brings the best out of me. Back when I was still real sick, I was a teenage boy. I was 15 years old. And two fellows in school decided they were going to be my friend. And I was just desperate for friends. I just, you know, I was still a lot of problems, a lot of issues. I couldn't be gone very long. And, and one night, these two guys and I, we went to uh, McDonald's in our hometown. And we lived out in the country, and we went into this McDonald's, and we ate. And on the way home, one of them took a brick and put it through the back of a parked car. And I realized then these two guys were not going to bring the best out of me. Got home and talked to my parents, and both of them looked at me when they said that, when they did that, and says, if you tell anybody, you're just as guilty as we are, and we're going to turn you in. And so I never forgot that. My dad taught me an important lesson. Friends bring the best out of you. They don't bring the worst out of you. A friend doesn't ask you to do drugs. A friend doesn't ask you to get drunk. A friend doesn't ask you to cheat. A friend doesn't ask you to steal. A friend brings the best out of you. A friend teaches you how to be loyal. A friend teaches you how to be trustworthy. A friend teaches you how to be reliable. A friend loves at all times. A friend stands their grounds in defending you. They don't threaten you. You see, I can't become what I am supposed to be without friends. Please don't miss that. I can't become who I'm supposed to be. These men sitting in here this morning, they are my friends. I can't become whom I'm supposed to be without Pastor Rick and Pastor Corey and Pastor Mark and Wayne. I need their friendship in my life. They bring the best out of me. If a friend is not pulling the best out of you, they are not your friend. Life is richer. Life is more fulfilling. Life is more joyful. Life is more fun. Life improves when it's spent with friends. Proverbs 27 and verse 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. That doesn't mean that friendships are all warm and fuzzy all the time. Sometimes friends clash. Sometimes sparks fly. C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, two good friends, could clash also as well in their friendship. But what they were doing is they were bringing the best out of each other. Tolkien and Lewis both say we would not have become the authors we became if it wasn't for our friendship and how they clashed. Wonderful book on their friendship that I read a couple of years ago. Powerful, powerful book. And something else about friends, the older the friendship gets, the better they get. Let me take you to a speech that, that uh, Mr. Rogers, you know him, Mr. Rogers made when he received the Lifetime Achievement Award, and it's on the app, and so you can follow along with me this morning. It's a little, little long, but it's worth reading. So many people have helped me come to this night. Some of you are here. Some are far away. Some are even in heaven. And all of us have special ones who have loved us into being. 
Would you just take along with me 20 seconds to think of the people who helped you become who you are, those who have cared about you and wanted what was best for you in life? Ten seconds of silence. I'll watch the time. And after 10 seconds, he lapsed. He continued, whomever you've been thinking about, how pleased they must be to know the difference that you feel they've made in your life. Isn't that powerful? Would you take a few seconds after this message this morning and would you think about the friends who've made a difference in your life? And would you let them know the difference they've made in your life? Because I'm telling you, nothing is more pleasing than to hear from a friend, this is what you've helped me become. This is what you've helped me achieve. This is how you brought the best out of me. Thank you for being reliable. Thank you for being loyal. Just communicate that to them today. In Proverbs 17, verse 9, love forgets mistakes. Nagging about them parts the best of friends. Love forgets mistakes. Nagging about them separates the best of friends. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, I thank you that my friends have nourished my spirit. I thank you that my friends have helped me become not only the man that I am, but the husband that I am, the father, the grandfather. Lord, the pastor, the friend. I thank you for friends, Lord, who have been like iron sharpening iron in my life. I thank you for friends that I've been able to count upon in the storm, as well as friends to enjoy the sunlight with. Lord, I thank you for friends, Lord, who have energized my life. Lord, they've not taken something away from me, but they've given something to me. Lord, they've poured into my life and I walk away from my friends every time feeling rejuvenated and lifted up. Lord, I thank you that above all, you're not only my Lord and my Savior, you're not only God whom I kneel before and worship, but Jesus, you are my very best friend and I love you so much. And Father, perhaps there are people listening today or will listen later to this message that Jesus, to this point, they have not known that you love them so much and that you want to be their friend as well. I ask you that today that they would cross the line and just simply say to you, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy upon me and forgive me of my sins come into my life be my Lord or my master but be my friend as well and I thank you Lord for your goodness and your kindness that you give to us in all generations which in your name I pray amen and amen you know as I wrap this up this morning I have a good friend lives out west and I will never forget, he came to me one day, first time we met, and he said, I've heard all about you, and I don't know 
I don't know you. We've never met, but I've heard all about you. And he stuck out his hand and said, I want you to be my friend. I will never forget that. That friendship is almost 40 years old now. Isn't that amazing? I'm so thankful for those kinds of friends. This week, a friend went to help my mother in need because my sisters were out of town and my mother had an emergency in her life. But a friend who was also a board member when I pastored in Georgia, a friend went to help my mother. It was just like my being there. He called me this week and he said, I just want you to know I took care of everything. She's okay. And by the way, your mother says I'm the better looking of the two brothers. So it's just the friends that bring out the best in you. But a friend, listen, a good friend helps me to love Jesus more every single day. So don't sign off yet. I want you to, if you would, if you haven't given yet, would you take time to bring your tithes and your offerings today? This week, our church once again has fed so many families and been able to meet so many needs and food and groceries. This week, our church has been able to assist those who aren't necessarily in need of food or or, or benevolent assistance, but they've needed some support or encouragement and help in other ways. But we had a little bit of a crisis this week that doesn't require any finances. It just needs your prayer. But our feeding ministry was not able to go out into Detroit this week, what we call Bread of Life, simply because all of the places where we've been meeting have been closed down and folks can't gather and all of our friends who, who are partake of the feeding ministry we have in Detroit, they're all scattered. So I'm asking you, would you pray? You know, over the last almost 20 years now, we've had so much going on down there. We don't want to lose that harvest. So would you pray with us this week? And there are some friends in the church that I just can't call names out. And one, several, I got some this morning says, Pastor, I have a confidential request. Please don't share it with anybody, but would you pray? Would you be friends this morning to others in the body of Christ? God knows every need. I don't do this, but in my church growing up, every week the pastor would say, is there any unspoken request? Is there any unspoken request? And a lot of times I would hear him say, Lord, you know the need behind every hand. When you and I pray for these requests this week, trust the Holy Spirit to help you pray and help you intercede for them. Would you do that? By the way, Timber Ridge will be on in 15 minutes, so don't go anywhere. You want to watch Timber Ridge with your children. Don't forget, register for one of our services next Sunday. Be right here on the campus. You're going to park in the front parking lot, and we're going to be right back here in the back. I love you so much. Thanks for joining me today. God bless you.